an ego state is a pattern of thinking, feeling, and behavior. It's a pattern. Yeah. A transaction is a pattern of stimulus and response. It's a pattern. A game is a non-problem solving pattern of behavior. A script is a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. It's a pattern. Yeah. Out of all the theories I know, TA can help you identify patterns and can help you identify bullseye transaction to interrupt patterns. And that's mm. my work. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Sari Fompulia, who is a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the organizational field. She is the director of Intact Academy, which trains and accredits coaches, as well as an expert on agile business innovation and an international executive and team coach. She's authored many articles and books on leadership, coaching, and organizational change, and is the initiator and editor of a new book entitled New Theory and Applications of TA in Organizations. We discuss how TA influences the many aspects of her work. Sari, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you on with us. Why don't you start off by just introducing yourself, saying a little bit about who you are, where you come from, what you do in the world of TA? Yeah, sure. Well, it's great to be here, and this is a great initiative. So many compliments to you to start off with. Thank you. Um, so my name is Sari from Puglia. I'm an expert in business agility and specifically in agile business innovation. So I see myself as a consultant in heart and soul. And apart from that, I've been a teaching and supervising member of transactional analysis since 2003. So I started my training in TA in 1988, which is wow. quite a long time ago, when I was 22. And I've stuck with it ever since because it's a great frame of reference and a fantastic way to help clients. Mm, brilliant. And Sari, what was it that drew you to TA training when you were 22, just out of interest? That's kind of a personal question to ask. <laughs> but anyway, no, I actually, it, it's a funny story because I lived in a home with all helping professionals. So I, we had a communal home and they were all psychiatrists and psychotherapists. And I was just a student of psychology. I was studying management consultancy at the time. So I knew I wanted to become a consultant since I was 17. And I was right on the way to that goal. And at a certain moment, I got really interested in the fact that my clients were changing short term, but not long term. And I thought, gosh, I need something else. I need something to help me with that. And my psychiatrist friend, Alexander Kussmelm, said to me, why don't you try TA? So I went to figure out TA first in a group and then in training with the great Erika Stern. And well, the rest is history. Wow. That's so fascinating. Yes. Well, you, you have to know that at the time, I actually told Erica Stern when I went to training, you know, I'm here for my clients. I'm not here for myself. <laughs> Little did I know what was going to happen afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's very good. I remember um, the first time I came across TA was in management and leadership training. We got taught transactions and ego states. And I was around 21, 22, so similar age to you. And I just remember being so captivated by it. It was like, this answers so many questions about what's yes. happening in work. Yes. And it makes so much sense. So 
Interesting. And tell me then, how did you begin to integrate that with your work in management consultancy? How did you begin to make sense of it? Yeah, well, in the beginning, you know, when I started training TA in 1988, the difference between fields was very minimal. And so I went to a training which was actually a psychotherapy counseling training, and I had to translate everything into systemic terms. In retrospect, I was busy creating new theory as the training went on. Mm. Um, And it was only later that I discovered first Burns' book on structure and dynamics. In actual fact, within TA, we have two different streams. We have a whole barrage of concepts which are individual level, which is things like contracts, ego states, transactions, game script. And there's a whole separate frame of concepts which we use in systemic TA or organizational TA, which are things like structure, boundaries, dynamics, imago, transference in culture. So it really is two different languages to understand two different things. You know, there's individual concepts to interrupt individual patterns. I'm sure we'll get to that. And then there are systemic concepts, which are really to help an organization change structure, relationships, and culture. Mm. And the difference between them is quite big, and it pays to be a student of both in TA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can understand that. And what do you feel like you end up actually using in your work overtly and covertly? Is there a difference in how you use them in that aspect? Well, my work consists of three things. So I have one stream of work is really my executive coaching. So I do a lot of individual coaching, mostly online, by the way, because I have clients all around the world. And I supervise a lot individually. And then I have schools for TA coaches and consultants. Really, it's a coaching and consultancy school using TA. And I do my consultancy on agile business innovation. Now, depending on where I am, I use different concepts. So for the individual TA, obviously, I want to help people develop personally and professionally. And so I use what people call classic TA, so the individual concepts. But anytime I do my team coaching or organizational development, I use systemic concepts. Yeah. An organization does not have ego states. An organization does not have a script. An organization has a structure, it has dynamics, and it has a culture. An organization is not a collection of individuals. An organization is a collection of teams. And so if you want to work in an organization, you need concepts which will help you interrupt patterns in systems. Mm. Um, so Very good. As you can hear, I'm not someone who believes that all fields are the same. I really am someone who thinks individual psychotherapy, education, counseling, and organizational field requires different competencies and different use of concepts. Mm, yeah, I, I can see that. And do you think that there is a similarity between counseling and education and organization that isn't there with psychotherapy? Because some people feel like psychotherapy is the one that's different because it's very focused on pathology and that the other three are more focused on using the adult. It's hard. Look, in my work as a coach or a consultant, I work through the adult with an awareness of parent and child. Mm. The myth is that you don't work with emotions. That's really a myth. It's not true. I mean, people who work in organizations are just like human beings. 
So they also <laughs> have feelings and we have to work with them. And I do work with historical events, but then in an awareness of the present. Psychotherapy is not more different to me than counseling or educational. I see all of them as professional fields and you need professional accreditation plus your TA to be able to work in these fields. Okay. Can I ask just to probe that thing that you said about history, working with things yeah. from history, yeah. how does that work on an organizational level? Well, look, I didn't only do TA. I'm also licensed in family constellations. I ah. retrained as a couples therapist. <laughs> really? Uh, I did NLP. I did supervision. I have a master's in supervision, a master's in team coaching. So I use really whatever a client needs to realize their goals. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when you can't solve it at a behavioral or structural level, and you can't solve it at the relational dynamic level, then you have to help people change their story. And to help people change their story from something that's limiting them in an organization to something that's empowering them, you need to bridge that, you know, you're in this situation now, how come you can't solve it? Because I usually work with people who are quite successful. Yeah. So by the time they need me, they're stuck. Yeah. Um, because my starting point is you only need me to extract the splinter, like Burns said, and the rest you can self-generate. So sometimes you have to ask people if you're stuck, right, is there something that's keeping you stuck? And they can talk about whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they also talk about, well, actually, this is just like family I grew up in. Yeah. You know, and then whatever happened there. It's not, you see, I think there is a big difference, uh, John. If I were a psychotherapist, I would probably ask, be there, be then. That's not something I ask as a coach or a consultant. I say, be aware of that. What do you need to create something new in the here and now? And it is a different kind of question. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I think one of the things that happens for me and Matt every time we have these discussions, you see, is we're also learning. So sometimes it's like, oh, I haven't heard that perspective before. And, and it takes sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it takes a little bit of time for me to catch up in my head. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a, a different viewpoint. And one that I kind of get attached to then about like, oh, maybe I'm going to change my perspective or what book should I read next? Maybe I'll change my field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that yes. happens all of the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depending on who we're interviewing, I want, I want to do that field. <laughs> so I noticed you mentioned at the start that you were an agility specialist. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering how you blend your agile approach with TA or, or how they interact with each other. I find that quite fascinating about how they might, might interact with each other because obviously they're two very different perspectives on business. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of context. So I kept getting clients who kept coming back with the same problems and I was thinking, what's going on? And most of the problems had to do with the fact that they were too slow to get to the market. So time to market is a really essential thing when you do organizational development. and. A lot of the agility literature in theory is about agile projects. So it came from IT, you know, scrummish things. That's not my field. I can do it, but it's not my field. What I'm interested in is how can you create an agile business 
what do you have to change in the structure, the relationships and the culture to make a business be able to react more quickly to the market? That's my field. So what I do is business innovation. Mm. So product innovation I've done, I don't do that anymore. But what I'm fascinated in is how can I help you innovate the business more quickly than your products? Because often I've got clients who innovate their products really quickly, but then they have a really old-fashioned leadership or a really old-fashioned cooperation style, or they don't involve their clients in their innovations. They've got a great product that they can't sell. And I'm thinking, well, there must be something we can do about this. So since 2013, really, I was doing this kind of work before, but since 2013, I really set up a research program to figure out how can we create more agile businesses? How can we innovate business? And I've created a model. The book is coming out. It's called Agile Business Innovation. And in that, I describe really the model I created based on my experience, like how do you innovate the structure and the leadership? How do you integrate innovation and research and development? How do you create new relationships with your clients and the market so that you can be quicker? Because that's the whole point of organizations, time to market and then revenue. So I use TA a lot in that, in the sense that I look at, this is like a mini lesson then, but Bern <laughs> talks. Yeah, yeah. So he, he talks about really in structure and dynamics, if you break it down completely, it's a really difficult book to read. But if you break it down, he talks about three levels that you have to influence. So the first level, you have to look at structure. And in terms of agility, are the boundaries around an organization permeable enough that it can hold the structure, the, the organization, but at the same time permeable enough to let in new information and new ideas? So this idea of permeability of boundaries in relation to its environment is really important when you look at agility. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. yeah so, absolutely. so sometimes I, I work with family business and they've got great ideas, but they're so enclosed that they're not open to new ideas from the environment. They don't let new people in. And so they're stuck in a certain yeah. pattern of doing business. So permeability is one really important thing. The way people lead is really important in agile organizations. So this hierarchical top-down kind of leadership doesn't really work if you want to be quick. And we saw that during Corona. Suddenly, all the rules went out the window and people created structures that were much more agile. So they created new decision-making procedures. I do that all the time. I've been doing that for 30 years in organizations you know, to bypass this kind of really hierarchical thinking and to, to do that based on trust. So that's important. Um, right. And in the relationship, what we get from TA is how do you create cohesive organization? Hmm. The more innovative, the more intimacy you need in an organization because people need to, you know, trust and build on it like you guys are doing. You know, hmm. you, you have an idea. You put it on the market immediately, you know, you do it and you, you learn as you go along. Mm, yeah. that, that requires a certain type of relationship and trust. So right. I see you guys as an agile organization. Mm. And the third level is really the psychodynamic level. What does a, an agile organization look like? Well, it's one where really the culture is based on 
what can we do together that we can't do alone? And if you've got that kind of culture where people really understand interdependence, usually they can be more agile. Mm. I'm sorry, I can talk about this for days. Yeah, <laughs> please, please do. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making notes for my business. Really cool. interesting. Yeah. And also, I'm very aware as well, I was listening to another podcast of how in the current climate and tech world, the various iterations of products are going out faster and faster. The space between new models yeah. Yeah. Is, is shortening all the time. And so... Yeah, sense of agility. It's not always better. Huh? So before we mm. had these product life cycles and now you see yeah. this products when the other one isn't mature yet, which is yes. okay. But I think there's also a limit to the amount of innovation we can take. Yes. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I find it really interesting because I trained as a, in Lean Six Sigma and yes. I always felt like there was an element missing, you know, about yeah. being able to actually implement this effectively. And I really like what you said about how you need to work at the relational level to build the trust because something yeah. like Agile or Lean will only work where there is a lot of trust in the teams and in the organization. So yeah. I can really see now how bringing TA and something like Agile together is so effective. Mm. Yes. And yes, how do absolutely. people respond to this, Ari? How do businesses respond to this way of working? Because I'm sure that they're really up for an agile approach, you know, because this is like a buzzword, you know, I walk into organizations, they're like, oh, we want to become more agile. And, you know, we want yeah. to introduce agile here and move away from waterfall and all of this sort of stuff, because it's the it's the done thing to do. But how do they react when you're you talk about trust and intimacy and the, the need for it to be built for it to work effectively? Yeah. Well, first off, I think usually I have to deal with the misconceptions about agile. So I've had businesses who say, Agile is just a project method, which I think if you want to do that, that's fine, but it doesn't really change your time to market in the end. So um, I think Scrum is really good for, for projects, but you need something much more encompassing to uh, be able to make an agile business. The other myth I usually get is that people think that if we take away levels of leadership, an organization will become more agile. I was working in a, a huge pharma company and they just took out two levels of mid-management and they said, okay, we're agile now. And what they were was completely disorganized. So that, was, that was really interesting. So the way they react is usually, on the one hand, positive because they understand that there's a system. You know, I've got a, based on all this experience, I created a model of four dimensions, eight factors. And if we follow that roadmap, you will have an agile organization within 18 months. You know, that's pretty much my promise. And it's worked. You know, I've been doing it for a long time. It works. But there's also a bit of reticence, I guess, when people realize it's both a structural and a relational change. Mm. But I think most organizational development is structural and relational and cultural. And one of the reasons most OD projects fail is that people don't do the change at all these levels at the same time, you know? Mm. Well, it's the same at individual level. You know, I try to make my programs impactful. And that, yes. for me, learning means sustainable behavioral change. Mm. I mean, I'm always really happy if people feel better and, you know, if they know a bit more. But it's really about sustainable behavioral change. So if people behave differently as professionals and as people in their profession, 
then that's the outcome of my training programs I want. Mm. And there a TA really helps as well, I think. Yeah. I was just thinking about how many times I've been involved in projects where they've been ignoring the relational level. Um, And it's a shame because people become resistant to some of the structural change and it doesn't bed in. So I can see how that's really effective. And going on from there then, I suppose, do you actually introduce TA to the organizations? Is it something that's an overt part of your consultancy and training? Or is it just something that you're using in the way you work? No, I introduce it explicitly. Mm -hmm. So um, much like, you know, Eric Byrne also taught his clients TA because then you have a shared language. And I really support his Bernian way of working is to strengthen the adult functioning. And to strengthen adult functioning, you need to give your clients the information so that they can become autonomous. So a lot of what I do in larger projects is to... Well, I guess you could say I build a structure and processes because we say in Dutch, I don't know if you say that in English, any river without banks becomes a puddle. (laughs) (laughs) So so if you do a change, you really have to structure it and make sure that the river can flow, as it were, so the the change is structured and, and has a direction. But I guess at the relational level, what I really try to do in any change is to create communities of cooperation. Because usually when you work in innovation like I do, the innovation is always at the edge. So it's at the edge of disciplines or at the edge between departments. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have innovation when people go really deep in their discipline, but usually it's in this friction between disciplines or departments. And so you have to create a cross-functional cooperation structure. Mm. Um, and the other thing I do a lot is I teach. Yeah. So I just teach people. Um, I teach people contracts. I teach people cooperation. I teach people uh, transact how to co- communicate effectively. So transactions in TA terms. Um, yeah. So sounds um, very. I use it. Sounds- I use it explicitly. I was going to say, and it sounds very comprehensive. Hmm. Yeah, this is, but we're only talking about my consultancy practice, but I'm, I'm, I'm always a little bit in love with my clients because uh, <laughs> I don't think you can work with clients if you, there's not something to love, you know? Yeah. And um, I usually have a, a long relationship with people over time, even if my interventions are usually only six to nine months. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. And do you find when you begin working with new clients that they already have an awareness of TA and that they've sought you out because they know that you use TA or is it something that they're, they're, they haven't heard of before? Because Matt and I are really interested in this uh, whole thing about whether TA is well known or not and maybe some of the reasons why it's not because that seems to be the general consensus. Yeah, but no, my organizational clients, if they know anything about TA, it's usually negative. So it's outdated and outmoded. (laughs) I think as well that some of our colleagues simplify TA in such a way that 
it becomes like pop psychology. And so when I say parent, adult, child, they go, oh yeah, we've heard of that. And I'm going, okay, wait a second. Someone else has been here before. Mm. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter what I use because my clients are interested in results. You know, in my line of business as a international consultants, I only work with senior leadership teams or boards. They don't care what you use as long as it works. Mm. And the thing is, TA works, so that's why I use it. Yeah. And tell us more then about your executive coaching, because that's kind of similar and probably involved in some of the consultancy and agility work that you do. But I'd imagine you probably work in organizations where you're only coaching as well. No, actually, that never happens. Uh, It's really interesting. So I offer coaching as part of the consultancy. That's true. Mm -hmm. But most of my uh, executive or team coaching clients are separate. So they come to me because they've heard of me. So I never market my coaching. And I'm kind of the secret weapon of, of some of the senior leaders. So what happens is that it doesn't really help to market at that level. Senior leaders don't look at LinkedIn and go, oh, that would be a good coach for me. They ask their colleagues yeah, and their colleagues, you know, they're at dinners together or at, I don't know, bars together. And they go, who do it? Yeah, I have a coach. Who is it? Blah, blah, blah. And then they call me. So that's the way people reach me. And I think what really helps is I was a director in several multinationals myself for 23 years. So next to my business as a a consultant and a TA teacher and supervisor, I was a managing director of HR or of organizational development in Shell, in EMI Music, in KLM. So I think this combination of just knowing how it works really helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I we used to work in organizations where they used to become annoyed at consultancy houses because they felt like they were academics and they never actually did yeah. the job. Um, yeah. So I think that is a really important point, actually, Sari, that you carry this weight when you've actually done it. You've been on the ground yes. and you needed to work in the organization. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's really taught me a lot. I've been working in businesses, I think, well... Yeah, I've wanted to be a consultant since I was 17, and I went to study organizational psychology when I was just 18, I think. And I... Can I ask, what was it when you were 17? I've never heard anybody say, I knew so clearly that I wanted to be... Yeah, a business consultant at 17. What was it that appealed? Um, I think it's a combination of stuff. So there's a a professional and a personal story to that. So. I guess the professional story is I'm fascinated by systems and how systems affect individuals. Okay. Uh, This whole idea that you have freedom of choice as an individual when you're part of a group, I don't think it's true. Ah. So I think it's a myth within TA as well that people are completely autonomous. No. Right. When you're a member of a group, if you want to belong to a group, there's always a part of you that you have to... uh, (laughs) You have to give up. Yeah. Yeah. Give away. Give up. Maybe not, but give away. And because all of us are part of groups, we're part of our families, we're part of schools, we're part of organizations. I would really challenge this concept of autonomy we have as a concept of independence. It's not true. So I was really fascinated about this. We're all part of a system. We're all part of groups. 
and how does a group affect you as a person? Mm. So that was part of it. Part of it was also, I did a project when I was a student and I grew up going to American schools and in Mm. American schools, everybody wants to become president. And the easiest way to become a president is to become an an owner of your own business. So I thought very early, I'm going to be, you know, the owner of my own business and just take it from there. I didn't know it wasn't possible. So I think that really helps. As an entrepreneur, that's a great thing to have because if you don't know it's not possible, you just do it. And that's what I did. I think... The personal story behind it is my father was an executive at ESSO and he'd come home and he actually every Sunday I'd sit next to him. He was at his big desk and I had a little desk next to him and he'd explain what he was doing. So um, from a very, very early age, my dad, who was a human resource director, really explained to me this is what's going on. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to try this. And, you know, of course, in the language I could understand. But, um, yeah, I'm yeah. still very grateful for that. So, yeah. What a yeah. lovely experience. Mm. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. One of the things you said earlier that I'm really interested in is you, you were talking about interrupting patterns in yeah. organizations. And I find yeah. that really interesting because that, with my history of being a hypnotherapist, a lot of the way I see my work in that realm is interrupting patterns and helping people to establish new ones. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I I think it's really the reason I stuck with TA because in my line of work, I think I have two types of clients. I like simplifying reality. So here we go. So I have two types of clients. I've got clients who are completely in a panic and under distress, so under severe distress. Yeah. And at that moment in time, they have less adult functioning and what I can offer them is a holding. So mm. that's really people experience trauma, you need a holding pattern until they've recovered enough adults to do the developmental work they have to do. So mm. part of my clients, very small part, by the way, but there are clients, I just had one today, you know, he's getting fired from his job and he's ah, like this. Yeah. So yeah. I offer a holding. Um, mm. Most of my clients are successful people who realize that the way they've always been doing things doesn't work anymore, either because they've mm. changed or because their environment has changed. Yeah. So script is as much your burden as your success strategy. Yeah. And so they realize their script doesn't work anymore. And so when I was younger, I tried to find a theory or a, a frame of reference that would help me understand patterns because these people need pattern interruption. I call myself a creative disruptor, really. That's what I do. That's my living. Okay. And TA is fantastic for that because every concept in TA describes a pattern. If you think about it, an ego state is a pattern of thinking, feeling, and behavior. It's a pattern. Yeah. A transaction is a pattern of stimulus and response. It's a pattern. You know, yeah. A game is a non-problem-solving pattern of behavior. A script is a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. It's a pattern. Yeah. Out of all the theories I know, TA can help you identify patterns and can help you identify 
like the bullseye transaction to interrupt patterns. And that's mm -hmm. my work. I do that with individuals, but I also do it with groups and organizations. And TA is fantastic for that. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. You're like a bullseye specialist. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, you know, I, I try to be, I've been doing this for 35 years and I'm still learning. In 2003, I did my TSTA exam in Oaxaca, in Mexico. And I was lucky enough, I sat at the breakfast table and Muriel James came wow. and she sat next to me and we started talking and she said, you know, in a few minutes, a client of mine is coming. And I said, oh, do you want me to leave? She said, no, no, stay. And I was I, so privileged because I got to see her work. And Muriel James, I swear, she said four words in an hour. <laughs> uh, and I was going like this. And the client came in and went, ah! and she went, and? And then the client went, ah! and she said, and the client went, ah! and then she said, okay. And the client left completely happy, and I was going, yeah, an hour, four words, what? Wow. I want to learn how to do this. So. Yes, I'm a bullseye, kind of, I go for the 20 minutes, like burned it, but the four word thing in an hour, I'm still learning it. That's where I want to be. When I grow up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's wonderful to watch experts like that, isn't it? They're like, it's like art, yeah. it's like artists, the masters, yeah. they make yes. it look so easy. Yeah, yes. for the experience. Yeah, that's great. Great story. <laughs> but I, we can teach, of course, TA isn't the Bible. TA is a method. It's not even a professional training. I mean, your professional training as a coach, as a consultant, as a psychotherapist, that's your professional training. TA yeah. is an added bonus. And the reason we use it is because you can do these bullseye transactions. You can do the 20-minute things. Because yeah. if you can recognize patterns you can find ways to disrupt them mm. in a very clear, easy language that everybody understands. If I explain games in an organization, everyone goes, oh yeah, I know that, because it's so simple. And yeah. so you can work at the behavioral level, at the relational, you can work in depth, and TA mm. offers all of that. It's mm. fantastic. I'm just thinking right. of the parallels between being an agility specialist and wanting to aim for bullseye transactions. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it's, it, you know, the yeah. two things are common value is efficiency. You know, it's about working efficiently. Quick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Quick and to the point. Some of my psychotherapy TA colleagues come into my team coaching training and of course, within the framework of an organization, you've got three to six months to get your result, basically. And sometimes I've got my psychotherapy colleagues who are going, yeah, but we just start contracting after three months. And I'm going, if I had the luxury to do that, I would be out of a job in the organizational field, you know. Yeah. But when you make a contract, like after an hour, it's, yeah. It really is such a different perspective and a way of working, mm. you know, and I really notice it when my colleagues come into my training programs. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. 
I wonder if there's something to learn there in the world of therapy in regards to agility. And well, you know, there are forms of therapy, aren't there? They're really quick, the redecision type therapy. Solution focused. Yeah, I learned redecision from Mary Goulding. I used to go to Jamaica to be trained by her. That that was a, a different kind of training program. We'd work in the morning and then go to the beach in the afternoon (laughs) (laughs) and then have a little roundup in the evening before the lobster on the beach thing. (laughs) She really was someone who could do that really quick work because, and as you say, it's a science and an art. You need both the science to recognize the pattern and the art to have the intuition to know where to intervene. Mm. Yes, there is some people in TA can really do that really well. Mm. Yeah. And I know you mentioned team coaching earlier on. So I was wondering, because we've talked about executive coaching, which is one-to-one, and we've talked about your consultancy, but team coaching is a little bit different again, because I assume you're working coaching in a group setting. Yeah. 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 And this is something that you specialize in, or is it an interest of yours? Well, In my uh, institute, Intact Academy, we train people from beginners. So they do basic TA, then they do coaching, and then they do team coaching, leadership and change, supervision, and entrepreneurship. That's kind of the line. Some people stay one year, some people stay seven years. You know, it's kind of like that. After I gave the basic coaching training, I realized that my interest, because of my kind of background, is in team coaching. I find teams fascinating. So the difference for me is that in team coaching, the team is the client. The team as a unit is the Mm. client. So the individuals are less important than the team. But a lot of transactional analysts do group coaching. And in group coaching, you have an individual client who happens to be in a group. And there, the individual is more important than the group. Team coaching is really very different. It really is a systemic way of intervening. So I give training programs in that. So I teach people how to look at the patterns in groups, so structure, relationship, psychodynamics, and I help them figure out at what level you have to intervene. I find a lot of team coaching colleagues and TA colleagues especially are really focused on relational stuff because... Any client will come with a complaint in a team, and the complaint is usually relational, like Peter can't work with Mary, or I'm the leader of this team and they don't do what I say. I'm, this is paraphrasing clients here. The interesting thing I've found over time and what I try to teach people is that most of the relational problems are actually structural problems. So, nine times out of 10, Peter has a problem with Mary because the boundaries aren't clear and the roles are overlapping. Okay. And so if you solve that, 90% of the problem is solved and then 10, maybe 8% is relational and maybe 2% is script related. So I, I really try to teach people to work, you know, for me, you look at the structural level first, then what's left you treat at the relational or dynamic level and what's left after that is an existential psychodynamic problem. Mm. Many, many colleagues coming from psychotherapy, going into teams, love that stirring up of the psychodynamic level. And I'm thinking, if you do that 
without having a clear structure, all the energy you put in will go out again immediately and you'll probably make the problem worse. Mm. So, yeah, I'm really a bit of a, I'm academically schooled. I study, I've been reading four books a week for 35 years. I study a lot, but I'm very pragmatic. I want to know how it works and where can I do the smallest thing so I have the biggest change. That's, mm. that's my passion. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Because I, I'm thinking about how you said that the team is the client, not the individuals yes. in it. And in my psychotherapy training, I remember a tutor saying that the couple was the client and not the two people yeah. in it. And I'm thinking in about couples therapy. how yeah. yeah, there is some similarities there because some people who do couples therapy don't see the couple as the client. They see the two individuals separately and it is a different approach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah for me, you have two people and then the couple. I do the same um, because I was trained by John Gottman in couples therapy. So for me, a couple is a system. Mm. Yes. And uh, like a family is a system. Yeah. And so we need systemic concepts and approaches to deal with that and not individuals ones. Mm. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned that you trained in uh, family constellations. Is that something yeah. that you use in organizations? Yes, I do. Because I think and I work through the adult with an awareness of parent and child, you need to have something at the nonverbal level to work with script. And there's two ways I work with script in organizations. One is constellations. We don't call it family constellations. I'd call it more coaching constellation, where, for instance, people, when they're really, really stuck at the existential level, they see the similarities and differences between their team constellation and their family of origin. And then they realize they're setting up their own prison again in the team, as it were, golden cage, huh? So coaching constellation is one bit. The other thing I'm really, really passionate about is the hero's journey. Mm. So the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, I use the hero's journey a lot because at the existential level, we tell stories. And the script is not more or less than a story. It's a story we tell ourselves over and over again about who we are and how our life is. And with the 12 steps of the hero's journey, I actually teach it using film. And then I help people walk the hero's journey like a constellation almost. And they can feel where am I stuck? What's my next step? What would I need for my next step? Mm. I use that a lot in leadership development and also with people who don't necessarily want TA, but who want to understand how stories work, you know. Sometimes people ask me, what's your professional literature? I say children's books. Because in children's (laughs) books, you know, you've got good and evil and you've got enemies and friends and allies. And that's kind of the level at which we construct the life script. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. I love that. Very simple. I love stories. Yeah. 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 And it's like the map is not reality. The story isn't reality either. So Mm. if we can help people make the distinction between the story they tell and who they are, then you can already help a client. Yeah, to rewrite that. My experience is really that I remember I had a client and the client came to me, an executive coaching client, and she said, 
I just got a new boss. She's a woman and I can't work with her. This was like the first day that she had this new boss. And I said, why can't you work with her? Well, she's a woman. And this was a woman. Huh? My client was a woman. And I said, but why can't you work with her? And she said, uh, well, it's a woman. <laughs> so this story went on and on. And finally she said, I can't work with a woman because my mother hates me. This is where you see this, you know, where the social level, the behavioral level kind of crosses over into the relational and the existential level. Yeah. And I said, why do you think your mother hates you? And she said, well, it's really simple. I got married at 35 and my mother didn't come to my wedding. So I know my mother hates me. And I went, well, is there an earlier moment at which you saw this? And she said, yeah, well, I was 24. I graduated from university and my mother didn't come. So I know she hates me. I went back in time and time and time and time. And finally, I said to her, what's your earliest memory? And she said, well, I was six or seven and she was Spanish and I had communion. And that's a big deal in Spain. So white dress, and black, yeah. blacker shoes, you know, all dressed up, pretty little girl. And I said, what happened? And she said, well, I went to my mother's room and I said, mama, mama, look at me. I'm beautiful. And my mother turned around. She was in front of her dressing table. She turned around and she said, no, look at me. I'm beautiful. And I knew then my mother hates me. And I said, you're 49 now. If you think about the context, if you, what was happening in your family at the time? And she said, well, my father had just died a year before. This was my mother's greatest love in her life. And she'd been in mourning all this time. And I said, but what happened? What happened at the communion? And she said, I could really see this light bulb go off in, their, in her head. She said, before the communion, we went to practice in the church and there was another little girl and the other little girl had a father and his wife had just died. And my mother and that father met. I could really hear her say that. And my mother, I could see she really liked him. And I said, so what do you think your mother meant when she turned around? And she said, gosh, when I look back now, I realized my mother was really nervous to meet this man again in church because he was going to be there too. And what she was trying to do is create like we're women together. And she was really nervous. And I said, so how do you feel now about, you know, your mother? And she was crying. And she said, oh, I have so much more compassion for her. And I said, so what does that mean for your position at work now? And she said, I'm going to ask my new boss who she is and where she comes from. And that's, I feel so privileged to be mm. able to do this work. I get so touched by the clients I get to work mm. with and the businesses I get to help with this. Mm. I really feel blessed. What a great story. Yeah. I'll never forget it. Mm. Yeah. It's such a lesson in how people can present themselves at the behavioral level and then adapt their relationships to that. And then really what's going on is their story. Mm. So if we can help people change their stories, reality changes for them. And that's mm. wonderful. Mm. That was a great example of a, an interruption. Mm. Wonderful. And that is probably the power of TA really, isn't it? Because I'm thinking about how she could have met a different coach or a different consultant or a HR person 
or a mentor who wouldn't be able to see the pattern and would work at a very behavioral level and might say, well, why don't you try and get along with her? You know, this really kind of here and now behavioral stuff. And it wouldn't have had the same impact because, you know, there was a real shift. I could feel it even when you were retelling the story. I could feel the shift again. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think many of the students that come to my uh, academy, they're usually experienced. So they're usually They've had work experience, but they've also done other training before. And what I tell them is that TA is like, it gives such a comprehensive and deep understanding, not only of individuals, but also of groups. And what is the one thing we have to do to help people change? You know, Mm -hmm. they have to do it. We can lead them to the door, but they have to go through it. But this idea that we can observe, we can interpret, we can conceptualize with TA to understand the pattern. And then the question is, what is the smallest thing we can do to interrupt the pattern? And that's such beautiful work. Mm. Uh, right. And yeah. that really debunks this myth that it's simplistic or pop psychology. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think that we should or need to be doing in the TA community to further debunk these myths and to really help organizations, teams, individuals, schools, universities see the value in TA and understand how to access training or how to find practitioners? Because like I was saying earlier, some of the general consensus from some of the people we've talked to so far and definitely me and Matt's feeling going into doing this project and putting the podcast out there was to tackle that issue that TA isn't as well known as it maybe deserves to be? What I think, I think three things. One is I think you can only do marketing for TA when we do that as a cooperative project in our community. So at the moment, a lot of people are marketing for their schools, but they're not actually marketing TA. And I think that's something that we, certainly as TSTAs and PTSTAs, should take on ourselves to work together to do that. Or like you guys are doing, it's so important to market, to tell success stories, to publish, to speak at conferences that are not TA conferences, that are coaching conferences, consultancy conferences. That's where I speak. The other thing is that really need to be rigorous about standards. So what we're doing at the moment is that we're accrediting individuals to use TA. But honestly, I think we should shift towards a system where we don't only accredit individuals, but also the schools, because it's the schools in the end that teach people TA. And at the moment, if I'm accredited as an individual, I could do anything in my school. And I'm a member of ICF and of EMCC. So ICF is the International Coaching Federation. They accredit people and the training program. And I think we need to go to a system that does that. And the other thing, I in Holland, I set up the TA magazine. So my plan was uh, we had a, an association newsletter and they asked me to be the chief editor. And I said, if I'm chief editor, it's going to become a commercial venture. So it's going to be big and it's going to be glossy. People <laughs> kind of went, uh-huh. 
And I had a plan. So we had a distribution of 400 on paper. And I said to my editorial staff, we're going to professionalize, we're going to digitalize, and then we're going to broaden our target group. And we're going to do that in three years. Within a year, we had gone from a circulation of 400 to a circulation of 50,000. Wow. There is, there is not a TA magazine in the world that has reached that circulation. And we did it here. And we did that by professionalizing the, the processes of the magazine, but also teaching people how to write. Because that's the other thing. People can speak, but they can't always write. So we really coached them to do it. And then we digitalized everything. That's the other thing. In the TA world, we don't embrace new technology enough. And we should. It yes. helps us. And then I sold it to a formal publisher. And he's distributing it to 50,000 people. Oh. And so that's what we need to do. To do that, we need more business brain power in our associations mm. and our institutes, to mm. be honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, and you, you, guys, you guys could be a motor for that. And I really salute you for that because that's really helping. Yeah, I totally agree when it comes to the opportunity that we have with the digital world to touch yes. so many so easily, really. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. and also to do it together instead yes. of alone. So, for instance, now I've set up a digital TA program, a basic program and advanced digitally with 10 colleagues so we can learn from each other and mm. do it together. We talk a lot about cooperation in TA. We don't actually do it a lot. We'll only win this, you know, what you're trying to reach, if we work together. Mm. That's it. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sari. <laughs> yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. We can talk <laughs> It's wonderful. Well, really great. So I presume there's a website or email address that people can look you up yeah. or contact you on? People can find out all about the programs on www.intactacademy.com. They can look up Team Agility, so everything mm -hmm. about the Agile business innovation on www.teamagility.com, mm -hmm. or they can contact me directly through www.sarivampuya.com. I'd be really happy to hear from you. Mm. Okay. Thanks Lovely to meet you. Time, guys. Yeah, take okay. care. Really appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. If you would like some more information on TA or you'd like to see some TA resources, then head over to our website, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can also connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also email us at three people in your head at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we would be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.